Welcome to the Understanding Jesus Podcast. I'm Pastor Troy Richards, and with me today is Mr. Evan Fetterhoff. Thank you. Welcome. And thank you, Evan. And uh, Austin, the engineer, and uh, waving in the background. But we have a great podcast ahead. We are in. We're transitioning from Matthew into Mark. We we don't hit on Leviticus as much as we would like to, but uh, but we highlight Psalm 22 because we are talking about uh, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and all uh, all kinds of neat details, and the Great Commission. Evan has some incredible insights about the Great Commission that we want to share with you, and I think some great questions uh, at the end of the podcast about the resurrection and people rising from the dead, graves opening up, zombies. Uh, you say zombies, that gets people to listen. Zombies at the end of the at the end of the podcast. So Stick around with us as we enter into Understanding Jesus. We have a new ministry here at First Baptist Jackson. It's called Holy Grounds. We meet every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and we have gourmet coffee available. Our own barista in-house. So we hope you'll come join us 9 a.m. Sunday mornings for Holy Grounds. From 9 to 9.15 we have a time of fellowship where we donuts and coffee and then Bible study. Always from some amazing Bible study. You can sit in the observation deck and just watch or you can participate. It's up to you. But come join us. Check it out. 9 a.m. Sunday mornings here at First Baptist Jackson. Welcome back to the Understanding Jesus podcast. We are looking at some passages of scripture that really stood out to us in our reading this week. And we're, uh, we went through the end of Matthew. We're going from the end of Matthew into the beginning of Mark. So it's really a, a really powerful time. Anytime you get to the Gospels and you get to the time where we're talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection, you know, basically the passion of Christ. And uh, and the neat, the neat thing about going from a transition from Matthew to Mark is that Mark doesn't really have a, well, doesn't have a birth narrative. And so you, you really go from the end of Jesus's ministry in Matthew to the beginning of Jesus's ministry in Mark. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really a, a, a neat segue uh, there uh, and and there's a lot of material that uh, really we all most people believe that Mark was written before Matthew that uh, Matthew draws material from Mark and so it's it's kind of like getting the summation of the gospel after you got all this information from mm-hmm. uh, but it also I think going through all the details of Matthew helps the things in Mark to really stand out more and right. uh, and so I, I appreciate that but I I wanted to look at um, I know what Evan's going to talk about so I'm I wanted to look at Matthew chapter 26 and uh, really, uh, and then kind of segue into Matthew 28 because it all um, it all goes together. Yeah. And so, uh, and it's focusing on uh, one particular thing, and I'll I'll show that when I get done reading. But anyway, Matthew 26, it says, um, "But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee." This is Matthew 26, starting with verse 32. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Watch, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then in Matthew 26:52, he says, But Jesus said to them, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I... Cannot now pray to my father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels. 
And then finally, in Matthew 28, it says, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay, and, so, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Uh, now, the first of all, uh, it's just curious uh, that Jesus went from Jerusalem to Galilee. And one of the things, questions in my mind that there isn't an answer to really, but is how did he get from Jerusalem to Galilee? You know, and mm-hmm. I, I'm always fascinated in Jesus' resurrected state right. of how he moves through walls. Yeah. Uh, what does that, what does actually scientifically entail, you know, and what does, uh, what does it mean for him to get from one place to the other? Is he actually just walking to those places? Can mm-hmm. he move from those places? Because it makes, it kind of sheds light on what it will be like for us in our resurrected bodies. Do we move, you know, does it, Trend, do we transcend the space-time continuum and all, all these different things of uh, can we, you know, are we Star Trek-y where we can transport from one place to the other? Um, but uh, just uh, do we move in a different way? Can we change form? Can we, you know, all these different things pop up in my head. But anyway, get, not trying to get off on that too much. But the uh, <laughs> but uh, you have Jesus, um, the other gospel writers, uh, Luke especially, well, Luke primarily, uh, talks about Jesus being in Jerusalem and then on the road to Emmaus mm-hmm. and G- and the angel saying uh, he's gone to Galilee and say so you have uh, some people saying oh my goodness there's a contradiction but the reality is is that uh, he was in Jerusalem and uh, that's where he resurrected and at some point he went to Galilee and that's where they met up so he has so he's he's moving around also found it interesting they went home that he went back home uh, after all this and to meet with his disciples and then came back uh, to before he ascended. And uh, and just uh, really making his presence known to more and more people so that they can see and believe. And, you know, he tells Thomas, blessed are those who believe and don't see. But, uh, but he also made a, a great point to make sure that people, that there were many, many witnesses, hundreds of witnesses. And you think about that. You think about this is, and really, when you when you pull back, you think this is really the essence of why we believe what we believe. The if if you take everything away, because people ask question after question of, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this in the Old Testament? And and what does it mean when this happens in the New Testament? And how could this be true? And how could that be true? And, uh, you know, could Jonah be swallowed by a fish, be there for three? You know, how's all that work? How did the Red Sea really part all whatever? So it really the only question that has to be answered is did Jesus resurrect from the dead? Mm-hmm. Because if Jesus resurrected from the dead, then you have a man who came on the scene who who correctly predicted his own death, burial and resurrection, something that has not ever occurred, mm-hmm. something that can't be done uh, in this natural in our natural world. Right. Uh, and and so you so you have the absolute proof of supernatural power mm-hmm. at that point if it's real. And so this is this is the quintessential thing of, of in fact Paul even says it if the resurrection's not true then it's a bust all of it yeah. none of it's good. And so so everybody all believers when you get into these discussions apologetics discussions or whatever when you're mm-hmm. discussing uh, what you know when somebody questions the validity of Genesis or somebody questions the validity of whatever. 
Sure. Uh, and then you, you always always bring them back to the resurrection and say, this is why I believe what I believe, mm-hmm. because I believe the resurrection is real. And the resurrection is real. I believe Jesus was real. If Jesus is real, I believe his words are real. I believe he spoke the truth. And so he affirmed the Old Testament. So mm-hmm. I believe the Old Testament because Jesus affirms the Old Testament. I believe the New Testament because Jesus affirms the New Testament. It's, uh, there's an apostolic tie to every book in the New Testament. And Jesus uh, and the the, uh, the um, qualification for being an apostle was that they had to have personal interaction with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, so these are all people who were uh, physically in connection with Jesus, uh, Paul included. And so you have, so you have this. Uh, the only, I mean, the exceptions are Luke, but but Luke was only an uh, was an historian who was interviewing all people who were connected to Jesus, and so he's right. just giving, he's just sharing their stories. And Mark's similar in scope. Mark was a scribe for Peter, most likely, and so Mark's basically just sharing Peter's story. So really, the Gospel of Mark is. Peter's gospel, if you, if, uh, if, from what we can best tell, and so you have, uh, but anyway, you have this connection. But that this is the this is the the thing that that uh, you see. He was uh, he came back, and, and when we get to our questions time, um, looking at, at, at some of the, there's a lot of questions. Should be a lot of questions around it, but uh, but when you find the answers to the questions, it just makes it more powerful. Mm-hmm. It just makes it more of a demonstration of uh, this is this is the most incredible event, and. And it's like you want to look at somebody and they go, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll give you the resurrection. But once you give me the resurrection, it's over. Yeah. Because if I, if you give me that, if you believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real, that that it really did occur, then his, then everything he says has merit. He and he claims to be God. Right. And so if he claims to be God and can demonstrate his godness in that mm-hmm. way, well, then he deserves our faith at that point. And so, so that, uh, that's, that's really the place you're trying to move everybody to. It, it, it is something that, for me, is, it, it gives me that place of uh, when Satan gets in my head and doubts arise. And, and so because it's, that's what it says. It says uh, some, some doubted. You know, some believed that he resurrected. And some didn't believe, yeah. um, even though it was in real time. And that's, uh, you know, at some point we'll go into a greater discussion, maybe in one of the later Gospels when we're talking more about the resurrection. But the, um, but I think the thing that sticks out to me more than anything is that uh, you have this, uh, this uh, yeah, that they didn't, the fact that, th- that it even says that people didn't believe it, that it says that they went and t- and the to the Jew- the you know the guards go to the Jews mm-hmm. and they say they pay them money and say tell people you know we'll protect you and uh, keep you from being killed because they should have been killed if they you know allowed the body to be stolen and they came and, but that the, they said we're going to tell this story but we're going to protect you so that you're not killed as a result of this story and uh, which uh, anyway that the fact that they weren't killed is evidence that that it, the story was true which is odd yeah. but the uh, the point is, is that you have um, all these things are, are things that aren't being hidden by the Gospels. <laughs> these are things that the Gospel is telling us, that here's the story that they came up with to share. Mm-hmm. And and why would you include that story if you're the one saying, here's the opposite of it? But mm-hmm. but uh, but they said, and, and and they gave their lives for this. It wasn't just like, uh, you know, this helped them to get rich. It didn't help them to get rich. Mm-hmm. In fact, they lost everything as a result of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was all within uh, the time frame. It's not like it came 200 years later. It's not like mm-hmm. 200 years later people wrote these stories based on things we were already believing and being practiced. Three days later. Yeah, this yeah. is 
This is well, the gospels weren't written three days later, oh, but I'm yeah, saying yeah. but I'm saying but when the gospels were written, the people who saw him mm-hmm. resurrected were still alive. Oh yeah. So yeah. I mean they're sharing a story that other people could easily go, Hey, look, I was there. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. And so uh that but but they were but they are sharing these things in a uh in real time. Mm-hmm. And uh I mean if you were if somebody was going and telling you, you wouldn't like nine eleven, you don't remember nine eleven, right? No. Exactly. So, um, but I was, I saw it, right? Mm-hmm. And so somebody changes all the details or makes up something, you know, like the buildings really didn't blow up or whatever. It's like, I watched them fall, you know, and I've been there. I've seen, you know, I I lived through that, mm-hmm. witnessed it and so forth. But you didn't, you didn't see the event. And then your children and your children's children, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're going to be so far removed from the event. They're going to be like, well, maybe I, maybe the details aren't right or whatever. Yeah. But that's if it's written a hundred years from now. But the things that are written now about 9-11, mm-hmm. you know, there's still people here who go, uh, no, I don't think that's quite. And we would say that. You would say you would say that. Even like World War II is like that. Yes. Uh, where, where there's, I mean, there's not as many people left from that. And they're dwindling at best. Right. Yeah. But, but I have. But I, but even now, even that far removed. And this is closer than that. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, this is closer to the time than World War II is. But yeah. my grandfather was in World War II. And my grandfather gave me personal eyewitness accounts. Right. So I, I've heard those stories from a man I mm-hmm. very much trust. Mm-hmm. Well, the Gospels were written closer to the time yeah. that, uh, you know, that when my grandfather was still been alive within yeah. that time frame. So a, a lot of what you said reminds me of the like the liar, lunatic Lord. Uh, yes. Narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I I know I've heard Paul Washer present. I don't know who else presents yeah. it, but um, he talks about how how um there's there's three classifications that we could put Christ in. Right. Is is that either he was just a, a great liar and he right. was able to, and there were other people at the time uh, near that time that had claimed to be the Christ. Right. Um. Yeah. But they but it didn't line up because right. they because they had come. In fact, the Gospels even tell us about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it didn't line up because they there were so many prophecies. Um, that it would be very, I, it was so minutely, it was just impossible for them right. to actually f- fulfill the prophecies. Mm-hmm. And the second option was that he was a lunatic, which still would make it very difficult to fulfill those, but that he was just crazy and had yeah. guys following him, which we have cult leaders that do things like that. Right. And then, and then the third option was Lord. And 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 just like what you're saying, if if we truly believe that he's resurrected, then he has to be Lord. And, right. And so whenever we believe that he's Lord, all the other things in the scriptures just just fall in place, right? And right. it it's very simple to fall in place, and and it's not just that we're we're stacking those in there because they they sort of fit. It's right. because they they perfectly fit. The prophecies perfectly match up with the with the Christ right. that we and, have. And this isn't a guy who goes into a cave and gets a message from a person that nobody else has ever seen. Yeah, the gold plates, right? Right. And, yeah. I was saying, but I, well, I'm alluding to a lot of things. But, yeah, uh, I, I know what you mean. Uh, the, but, yeah. the, uh, but I mean, it, it, those are the, those are typically how new revelations take place. Right. Uh, some guy gets a personal vision. God told me this. Mm-hmm. Nobody else saw it. Nobody else was there. Yeah. Maybe one other person was there, or somebody else gets another vision mm-hmm. or something that nobody else sees. And so anyway, and uh, and and that's the foundation of it. This is a a message shared by multiple people mm-hmm. with hundreds of witnesses. Right. Hundreds of witnesses seen uh seen him die, mm-hmm. seen him after he's dead coming back, and and many of the events that had occurred mm-hmm. around that period of time, and not. Yeah. 
not just saw him die, but but were but saw him live yeah. and saw the things he did when he was mm-hmm. alive. That he was raising people from the dead. That he was making blind people see. That that w- lame people could walk. And it's yeah. so you have all these people before, see, he you know, before before he before he was killed. Then they saw him killed. Then they saw him alive. Then they yeah. saw him ascend into heaven. Right. And uh, and so and this is and they, and then they share their testimony. Mm-hmm. And and people go, well, there's this contradiction. It's like there's no contradictions. There's different perspectives and right. and you would get that from any story right you have all these people looking at the same thing happening and so everybody's sharing well this is what i saw yeah and sometimes it's different illustrations of the same thing right um i heard someone explain that you know when we hold up a basketball some people see a, a ball some people see an orange ball right. some people see a inflated ball um or whatever you know yeah. and and um but uh, and then it, it also reminds me uh, i'll hop in my thing yeah. here but it reminds me austin and i in our d group yesterday we're talking about um, First Thessalonians, and, and Paul says, you know, he didn't come in with flattery to to gain things from him. I think the from the people in in Thessalonica, I guess is how you say it. But um, but whatever yeah, it is. But um, but they um, but I think that even corroborates the story more yet because because it's a heart change has occurred in Paul and these others, and mm-hmm. um, and we see that uh, after Christ has left. And I I um I I mean I, obviously we we can that can be minced, mm-hmm. but. But um, but I think it I think it even further proves it because of the the crazy heart change that they've had yeah. um, in in their lives. So radical radically changed. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, that leads me really well into uh, not maybe not the last part, but yeah. really well into the, the Great Commission. So um, so this is if we do believe that Christ is Lord, which which I do, and I, I know you do, um, and and not lunatic or liar, <laughs> um, then then we we have to follow things like the Great Commission. We get right. we get very few super duper direct commands like this um mm-hmm. in scripture i mean this is just um jesus is going up to heaven he's uh, he's he's heading out and he says this is this is it this is the end of it um this is this is the the, the last command i give you as i'm leaving mm-hmm. and we get accounts of this and i i believe all four of the gospels plus acts and um it says i'll go ahead and start in 16 so now the 11 disciples went to galilee to the mountain and to the mountain which jesus had directed them and when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I, I really want to highlight in here, obviously we, we, we know what baptizing looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are discrepancies within the Christian church over exactly how that's orchestrated. But but we know that baptism is very important as uh, one of the signs of the believer after coming to know Christ. Um, um, and let me, I wanted to, I wanted to outline what it looks like for discipleship a little bit. Okay. Um, so it says um, go there in 19, it says, go therefore make disciples of all nations. I, I just wanted to go through a couple of things of what discipleship looks like and yep. a few other scriptures. And I want to hop back to the great commission. A little okay. Bit. So um, in Romans 10, 14 and 15, I, I'll just I've I've got them written like uh, summations I guess so okay that's fine so Romans ten fourteen and fifteen says how can they hear without the word being preached um, and then fifteen sixteen says um, that he chose us and we didn't choose him right and um, he's talking directly to the, the apostles in that moment but I think it applies to us too mm-hmm. and um, so that's the evangelism side of things so so when we first meet people we have to share the gospel with them we have to go out they have to hear the word for their heart to be changed that's the that's the role that we are allowed to play in the sharing the gospel um we are we're allowed to share the message <laughs> and um so then the second part i think is is fellowship now there's other aspects to discipleship but these are the the four that i i really 
lean on. I think they're really good disciplines to to teach. And then fellowship, First uh, Peter three eight, it says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a, and a humble mind. So um, these are the ways that we should interact with each other in fellowship. That we should we should be of one mind. We should um, love each other, and we should do that in a Christ-like manner. Um, and um, and having um, a humble mind, I think, is really important to lacking pride. Um, prayer, we see in Matthew 6 9, we see the Lord's Prayer. We see an example of that. Um, we also see other other passages, you know, not to pray hypocritically, um, that we wouldn't pray. Um, um, I think it says as the Pharisee do, Pharisees do out loud and, and, and to boast. And then uh, the last one is reading God's Word. We see uh, 1 Timothy 4.13 says, um, talks about teaching, exhortation of Scripture, public reading, and then Hebrews 12 says that God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it's quick and powerful. Um, so um, these four aspects are ones that we we cover a lot with the, with the college students: um, mm-hmm. the evangelism, fellowship, prayer, and 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 reading God's word, um, studying God's word. So um, I, that's that's hopped a little bit out of the out of the text here, but I I I wanted to outline that because I um, when we say disciples, making disciples or discipleship, um, which I think for some people are the same, and some people it it varies a little bit, but um, I just want to outline that because it, for some people, it's a very vague thing. We we create mm-hmm. programs, we set up things in place to where the best possible outcome for someone that really wants to make disciples could do it if they wanted to. Um, but I, but but here we see that's a command. It's not just it's not just an optional thing that that if the best case scenario exists, you know the the golden egg of discipleship is offered to you, we do it. It's a it's a command that we must do it. And mm-hmm. um, so when we see these, we we have. Um, and there, I, I mean, each one of those is just an aspect of, of discipleship. And we see other passages that talk about the necessity of discipleship. But um, but when we go out and we, we talk about actually making disciples, there, there are commands that are given of things that, that must look like. There's even commands of emotion that we must uh, do. We must be content. Mm-hmm. We must be um, zealous in the way that we, we read and share the gospel. And there, there's there's many other commands that are given for us to go out and do these things. So um, whenever I read a passage like this, um, it's uh, it's very difficult to look at it and see it as I might make disciples if I can. And, right. And um and I, I know that not everybody's position is the same. Obviously, mine is more equipped to right. maybe make disciples. I'm I'm out actively trying to do that as as work and as something I feel called to do with my life. But right. but and I'm and you're in the same boat. You're a pastor. You you're called to do this. But but it's not just for us. We're we're not unique in that. And, right. And we we definitely don't have a monopoly on discipleship. You right. know. Uh, our our role is is somewhat twofold. It's it's to go do it and to help others to do it better. And right. and um and I I mean that's not the whole thing. But no, but yeah, but but like when we when we go out like like the other people that are around us um shouldn't slack off on discipleship. It just mm-hmm. looks different in every place that you go. It, it but but it must start with with the sharing of the gospel, just like what we've talked about on Sunday mornings with with the Who's Your One campaign. Right. If we you have, and we talk about it every week. I'm, I'm probably beating a dead horse, but but we have to share the gospel. Like right. like if we aren't doing that, we aren't being faithful. And, right. and if we are Christians, we have to be faithful to this. Um, right. It's not a gospel of works. It's not a gospel of, of things that we we go and we do them, and then um and we gar- guarantee our salvation by the things that we do. That's not what it is. Mm. That, that's not what it is at all. But if our hearts truly change and the fruits line up with that, we must share the gospel. Mm. And and so we see we see go therefore make disciples of all nations. So. Uh, and the nations have to start here. And, right. and they have, to, if we're going to be, I mean, the Bible tells us in quite a few different places that that we have to be faithful a little to be given a lot. We talked about, I talked about the talents last week, the parable of the talents, where the the one servant was given a little and was mm-hmm. not faithful with it. 
Daughters were given more, and even more was given to them. Um, and um, I mean, I, let's let's assume that everyone who professes faith is is in Christ, mm. which which I don't I don't believe to be true. But right. but but if that's assumed, like like even in that story, like like I don't want to be the 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 servant that's unfaithful. I want to be the servant that that's the most faithful, right. um, and is giving all given all the more. Um, not because I'm selfish of that. I I want to be faithful to what God's given me. It, if my if my life is to look anything like Christ, it has to be faithful. Mm. So. Um, so anyway, I, I don't know, hopefully that's encouraging for people. To yeah. See, but. Well, I, and I think uh, one of the things I like to do, and, and we're already in Mark, and so we see where Jesus comes to Levi, who is Matthew, and mm-hmm. and calls him out. He's a tax collector, and then he goes to eat with them, and he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, and and people say to him, you know, don't then why is your master eating with tax collectors and mm-hmm. sinners and so forth? And Jesus says it's not the it's not the uh, you don't go to the the healthy people, you know, you go to the sick people. And uh, and Matthew being one of those sick people, and then mm-hmm. and then you just we just got finished reading his gospel, which is uh, which just doesn't seem like he's a person who's sick anymore. But mm-hmm. but but that's the he he doesn't call he comes to call the people who are sick, the people who are sin sick, mm-hmm. uh, to repentance. He's right. calling to, to to change their lives. And so Matthew is an example of a life that has changed. And so and so he's. Matthew is doing what uh, what you're encouraging everyone to do is to share the gospel. He is right. literally sharing the good news about Christ mm-hmm. with people and and wrote it down to communicate it. And then he closes out his gospel with this. Uh, I mean, it's 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 carefully crafted this because you can't write everything about Jesus. And John says that you can't. The, there's not a paper in the world that contain yeah. all the things that Jesus did. But uh, but they are so. There, it was a carefully crafted message. To his people, to 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 reach the church and, mm-hmm. and specifically Jewish church at the time, but uh, but the uh, but he ends it with this. Um, here's what here's how Jesus left us. Here's some here's the mm-hmm. admonition he gave us before he left. Wasn't the last thing he said before he departed this world? It kind of gets in our head that you get this picture of him mm-hmm. being as he's ascending, that he's mm-hmm. throwing out the great commission, and that's not the 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 timeline. Mm-hmm. But uh, but you have him sharing this. Hey, here's here's basically what I want you to do. I need you to now reproduce what I've done with you. I've I've shown you, I've taught you, um, and I now need to everything I've taught you. I need you to go teach other people. I want right. you to, just like you were baptized. I want you to go baptize them. Mm-hmm. Just like you were taught. I want you to teach them. And and this is the this is trying to and Matthew is saying this. Years after Jesus has ascended to heaven, and uh, years after the church has been established and is growing, and all the things of Pentecost have already occurred, and 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 so you have churches in all these different places. The letters of Paul have already been written, uh, at least most of them. And so you have, uh, so Matthew's just simply addressing to the church, saying, "Hey, look, this is, I'm getting ready to bow out. I'm getting ready to leave this place. I, it needs to keep going." And that's and that's how we have to think about what we've been entrusted with the gospel. Right is we are perpetuating the gospel to a new generation. Mm-hmm. And so we are trying to say, hey, we we were discipled, now I need to I need to disciple you. And anyone who who takes the gospel and receives it and does not perpetuate it, does not pass it on, uh it dies with that person. And and Jesus that's what Jesus and John, the gospel of John is saying, you're basically worthless at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, because you've already been saved. 
I've saved you. I've got you've now got eternity with me. Now I need you to pass that eternity on to the ones who are behind you, right. so that they also can come and be a part. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why are you still here? Why would you? Why would I leave you here? And I and I believe that. I believe that God at some point says, you know, if you're not going to do this, I'm just going to take you home. <laughs> yeah. You're creating more problems than yeah. than good. Well, in, in verse 20 says that too. You must teach them all to observe all that I have commanded you. Right. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So. Right. Um, so we have the, the spirit um, being with us always. Right. And 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 when we're observing all that he's commanded, it's not just that we're looking at it. Right. We're right. We're, um, we're reteaching and reteaching to do these things. And right. And we want someone that that is at, at the lighthouse. We call it a laborer. We say that right. someone has become a laborer. And and that's out of Matthew nine thirty six where it says the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Right. That, that we're that we have someone who's laboring and that that laborer needs to look like someone who's on their own able to consistently continue reading and in prayer and then in, in discipleship making disciples that make more disciples evangelism fellowship things like that and i i don't think that these are impossible marks to hit either right. um and i think a lot a lot of times especially when i was younger i look at these and think man that's difficult and and it's not easy but it, right. but they're not impossible marks it, we 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 can we can see those things and we can we can have a target to hit but we, we also have to have a target right and, and that's why it's so important for for us to find younger believers and share the gospel continuously and, and share our lives and, and disciple them because because they have to have something to hit. And for us, we also have to seek someone out to teach us and, and help us grow and, and learn more and to become more like Christ. Because right. because for us to be sanctified and grow, we must have a, a mark to hit too. Right. And, and it's not that we're doing all these things. Um, God obviously is alongside us, helping us be more sanctified, but but it it's our role to, to seek these things and, and yeah. desire these things. Um, so, and then yeah. I, I, I'm going to cut off, but I, I, I did want to read the very first passage of Mark, okay. if, if that's okay. Yeah. So I, I know we're kind of yeah. on, on the clock, but, um, so, uh, at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face. He will pre- prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the world. Well, I'll go ahead and read this part. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the co- country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him from being baptized by, by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with, clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And, and he was preaching, and, and he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Um, I just want to read that as a, I, I, we, most of us probably know this story already. Um, it's a, it's a cool story. It's the very, very, very beginning of the ministry. Um, next we see Jesus getting baptized and, um, I, I really love the gospel, Mark. It, and you've been talking about this already, but, but it's so concise in a lot of ways. It's shorter than the rest of the gospel. Right. And it hits the high points. And really, I, and just as what he says, at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written. And I, I, when I read Mark, I enjoy the fact that he just hits the high points as fast as he can. Right. If, if someone isn't going to read much of the gospel, he wants them to read this. Right. And, and, um, obviously we've got, we've got three other great accounts of the gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, we, we've, we've, I'm not going to say that. Well, well most, anything, most people yeah. believe that Mark is a sermon of Peter yeah. and that, uh, it's just simply, it was a message that Peter would have gone around and communicated to the church. Right. And and basically just saying here, let me preach to you the the life of Christ, 
and uh, and then Mark basically just captured it. it. Was you know I worked as a scribe for Peter, and so he captured right. it, and then once Peter was gone, shared it with the church, mm-hmm. and um, and that's and that's I think that's pretty accurate. And then um, and then you have the other gospels following suit. Matthew being uh, something, Matthew being a Jew, basically saying here's a very Jewish saying he is the Messiah. I know he's the Messiah, and here's the evidence for that he's the Messiah. And then you have Luke, who gives that historical account, really Luke being a Gentile, saying that the gospel's for all people, not just right. for Gentiles. And so that's why right. Luke then and then Acts goes and shows the progression of the gospel to the yeah, Gentile Which people. is really important for us. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And then John uh, writes a gospel that's basically, it's like, I'm getting ready to leave, and I want to make sure people have some very, again, that not only is he the Messiah, but Jesus is God. Yeah. And I want to make sure that people are clear that he is, uh, that he is yeah, he truly the divine. The I am statements. Yeah. And yeah. The, He's and, truly divine. Yeah. yeah. So, so it, as a short plug, if you guys yeah. aren't reading along with us, this is a really good place to start with to us. jump at, in. Yeah. At least in Mark. Yeah. And, and um and I I found in my reading mm. that if I'm ever in a lull for whatever reason, if I push through one part and look back and think I did this every day for this X amount of time, right. then I can continue easily doing it the next time. Right. And so so this is a great spot even if you just read the Mark section. Right. Um, not that you should neglect the other parts, but but if you even just read the Mark section to to start out with us, um, yeah. continue doing it. And and it's a it's a very cool cool book. It's very well, like scripted, I guess it's, yeah. it's well, the reading plan is, is uh, the reason I like the reading plan is because, and I've used it for years is that it um, that it does the gospels, well, it goes to the new Testament, and the old Testament simultaneously. And, and usually if one part is difficult to get through, mm-hmm. there's something better, but it also separates out the Psalms and the Proverbs. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that sometimes when you get to that, like you say, the lull and, yeah. and the reading, uh, there's always something right. vibrant in those, uh, in the Psalms and the Proverbs. But right. the, uh, uh, in fact, if, if you don't, if you haven't, uh, read anything, re- I, I really want to encourage you to read Psalm 22 as we're at this part in Matthew talking about the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. I think it's just uh, to read Psalm 22 in with the account of the crucifixion of Matthew is to see the parallel of, yeah, of hundreds of years before uh, that uh, that David is uh, the Holy Spirit really can see the crucifixion, mm. and uh, it's almost like a play-by-play it of is. what's getting ready to occur. It's it's so powerful to see it, uh, all those things fulfilled, and even just mm-hmm. one psalm. There's multiple prophetic right. psalms, but that one uh, really does lay out the crucifixion. Right. Well, we do, we do need to move on uh, to our question time, so we will uh, take a break, and we will come back and address some questions that we had in our reading, so stay with us. If you would like to learn more about the ministry here at First Baptist Jackson, we have a class that's specially for you. It's called Basics, where we teach all the basic foundational things about being a part of our church, what our church is about, where it came from, where we are, where we're going, and how you fit in to God's plan here at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're interested in being part of the Basics class, all you have to do is contact our church. You can contact us at office at fbcj.us. That's office at fbcj.us. Send us an email, and we would be glad to set up a time for us to have that class with you. We'll make a special time. We'll provide child care, but we need to hear from you. So if you're interested in taking the basics class, please contact us at office at fbcj.us. This is the portion of our podcast where we answer questions, and Evan has some questions. So, Evan, throw them out. The first question I think can be 
answer with the text, but okay. um, uh, why were the guards placed in front of Jesus' tomb on the day he resurrected? Um, wait. Oh, were the... Let me read it again. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, Austin. Uh, were the guards placed in front of Jesus' tomb on the day he resurrected Roman legionaries? All right. Um, hmm. Now, what do you think? Um, I think that they were um, some of the Pharisees' guards. Okay. So, you so, think they were not Roman, uh, actually Roman guards. They were actually yeah. temple guards, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I guess, is that right? The temple guards? Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I, the uh, the reason why we believe they're Roman guards is because uh, up until uh, when they were going into the garden to uh, get Jesus, they were temple guards. When they arrested Jesus in the garden with Judas, those were those were the guards of the temple, and they took him, uh, they arrested him, they took him, they tried him. Uh, but once they got to the point of needing to execute him or wanting to execute him, they didn't have that ability to do that. Mm-hmm. And and so they uh, so they uh, so then the Romans took over. They were the mm-hmm. ones who put the purple robe on him and mm-hmm. and laughed at him and mocked him and so forth. Really not knowing who he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, all they were doing, all all they are are people who take orders. And so basically, uh, the Romans and uh, Pilate instructed them to mm-hmm. uh, scourge him. And so they they and they do what they do. And so they scourged him. Those were Romans who did mm-hmm. that. That's when they became involved. After he was crucified, and they would have also watched over the crucifixion. Right. Uh, and but after the crucifixion is over, uh, the Pharisees approached uh, Pilate and basically said that uh, he said he was going to send some people to um, to uh, rob the body or whatever. And uh, and uh, and Pilate said, "You can have some guards." Okay. And so that's why we believe they're Romans okay, because Pil- Pilate issued Pilate gave the guards to him. Yeah. I, I know that in Jewish history there um, that the the Romans and the Pharisees kind of had overlapping right. guards and things like that, and it was um, it does confuse me. It's a not bit. just the Pharisees; it would have been Sadducees and yeah. Pharisees. The, yeah. the, the, that's why they but, just call them the Jews. Yeah, yeah. but there's there an overlap of yeah. of authority there right. um, that they that they work together, but but it was difficult. It, right, it happened. The Sanhedrin those, would have yeah. been the the, the, the authority right. the authority yeah. body. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, that answers my question. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, and and really, there's uh, there's so much in that that I think is fascinating because they, uh, and we were talking about this earlier. They uh, they were placed. There. I I didn't understand the part of your question about where he resurrected the Roman legionnaires. What read that? No, that. sorry, I I worded it really poorly. I was okay. really just asking exactly what you had. Okay. You said. Okay. Okay. Um, were were they? I, I read it wrong the first okay. time with the wrong inflection, the wrong order. Because uh, let me yeah. throw out an extra question and that is uh, there was a resurrection that took place uh, at the crucifixion it says the graves were opened up there was an earthquake and the graves were opened up and bodies came uh, and, and, and people came out of the tombs and walked around and people saw them and so forth at the resurrection that that's one of those things that uh, there's really two different lines of thought and I know a very popular Bible teacher who says that there should be a period before the after the resurrection part uh, and uh, and really, uh, that's not the most natural reading of that text. Uh, and so I, what he's saying is, is that uh, at, during the earthquake, when Jesus was on the cross, that those people came out of the graves, that there was a sp- special resurrection, so to speak, where people were resurrected. And then uh, but they went outside of the city and nobody saw them until after the resurrection. Mm-hmm. But I think the more natural reading is and I always <laughs> I always think I always think it's kind of funny when I take a stance when I'm like, yeah, I know he's a national Bible teacher and has in nth number degrees and all this knowledge and so forth, but I'm going to challenge him. I'm just going to say you're wrong and here's what I think. 
Uh, but uh, anyway, I won't name who he is, but uh, he's famous. But uh, anyway, the uh, my take on it is, and I, and it's not my only. My I'm not the only one who has this take. It's, mm-hmm. There's a variety of other Bible teachers who take this position. Sure. But but that uh, that when Matthew is saying, he's basically saying uh, this after he's basically given a commentary during the crucifixion, saying and after the resurrection, here's something else is going to take place that these people are going to these tombs are going to be opened up because I believe that Jesus is the first. Of fruits of the resurrection. It says that. And so he, this Bible teacher has another way of explaining that, but I don't think that explanation is strong because I think Jesus is the first person resurrected. And uh, and so after the resurrection, I believe that Jesus, that other people are also resurrected, that in this resurrection power, tombs are opened up and specific people are, are released and they see their family members. You know, it's not just that uh, Jesus is it's not just that people witness Jesus, they witness all these other people uh, that had been dead uh, previously. And uh, and I think that's, uh, that again, that he's the first fruits of the resurrection. And, and I think, I don't believe everyone was resurrected, but I do believe there was a specific group of people who um, who Jesus, for whatever reason, decides to take with him and uh, and resurrect. And so and there and and I am if for no other reason to add potency to the power of the resurrection that this is all happening. Another interesting thing is in in the story is that uh, that there is this idea that. Um, that the 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 Jesus rolls the stone away, or that the angel rolls and then Jesus is released. But uh, we we know already from the resurrection accounts that the physical properties of Jesus are different after his resurrection. The stone is not a barrier for him. He doesn't. He's not like knocking on the stone, hoping that some you know I'm alive now. Let me out. Let me out. The important and, part uh, was the tomb, right? Yeah, but yeah. the the stone was probably sealed, and Jesus probably just left the tomb and uh, without uh, and. But there's evidence for a second earthquake or or whatever the angel does. I believe the angel rolls the stone away, not for the purpose of releasing Jesus, but for the purpose of giving access to the women. Uh, and uh, when he shows up to roll the stone away, apparently it scared those guards to death, and they were like knowing that men. they would die. Well, they would, and they would have died uh, because the penalty of them breaking that seal is death. And so they went and explained, here's what happened. This being showed up, opened up the, um, opened up the uh, tomb, and so, uh, and that's when the Pharisees described, don't tell anybody this, mm-hmm. and gave them money and said, and you tell everybody that the disciples came and stole uh, the body while you were asleep, whatever, overpowered you, whatever the case, and we'll protect you. We'll go and, and speak on your behalf and, and tell people, here's why we think this needs to be kept quiet and so forth. And so that was a story that was generated. In fact, uh, Matthew even says that's, that's still a story that's being circulated today, uh, but the but the idea again showing Jesus's resurrection power of of how uh, because the it, it doesn't and it actually lends credence to the validity of the story because one that would that would never fly Roman soldiers can I mean if they just went and said oh yeah we were asleep and then somebody came and yeah. stole them away they would they would have been killed yeah they're so uh, alive. they would have never shared that story that's right they would have yeah. been they would have been up on the cross too that's <laughs> yeah. right exactly yeah yeah so, so anyway great my, question. my uh, I'm going to skip the second question. Okay. Not, not well, what that. is the second question? So I, tell, um, we'll, I, I was we'll just going quick. to ask, um, if all scripture, <laughs> you're funny, if all scripture <laughs> is breathed by God and profitable for teaching rebuke and correction for righteousness sake, how can we use passages explaining the construction of the temple in Exodus and Leviticus, Leviticus's lengthy law sections to this end? Well, what do you think on that one? Um, I think it's really useful to understand God's character. Um, his, yeah. his, um, uh, 
the specificness and I guess that's that's not a word, but we'll, we'll use work, it. Yeah. Okay. Um, specificness and and how he does things. He he sets up um, specific rules and, and right. barriers, guidelines. We see it with Noah with the ark and things right. like that. Where um, and we see it all the way through Scripture, where he, where God and God being perfect in right. in nature, he's created things very very specifically. So in the same way, when we we see the construction of the temple and the construction yeah. of 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 things all the way through Scripture, it's, they're very specifically set up. It's not right. it's not flippant or or just tossed by the wind. It's it's and it's not just like um and even within the church we had to we had to follow these these sorts of guidelines where we we right. want to do things to the glory of God. And if it's right. really if God's if God's um general way that He does the temple and things like that is, right. is perfect and 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 set so specifically with with jewels set in certain right. places and and certain amounts of certain things put in the exact spot that it is, uh, we must do it too. Right. And, and even in our daily lives and in the church and in the way that we interact with people. Yeah. Um, and not that, not that we, I mean, perfection is, is an impossible task for us, right? right? As, as sinful beings, but, but we have to strive for that same perfection. Um, and I think that, I think that Leviticus, yeah. the law in Leviticus and, and um, the construction of the temple, the things within that are all really, really important. Yeah, so. I think, uh, and I think, of course, that's a good answer. And so I, uh, I think that, uh, you know, if we look at ourselves, uh, if you think of eyelashes, uh, eyelashes don't seem that important, yet we sell um, women buy products to make their eyelashes look better. Uh, the uh, Our fingernails, we tend to have them manicured. Some people pay lots of money to manicure them. We, we, uh, we, use, we put those details because we know uh, that details are important. Right. And, uh, and Leviticus, I, I, I think the answer is already inherent in the fact that when we read Leviticus, we don't go, oh man, I got nothing out of that. I don't think there's any part of scripture that you read and go, mm, that was a waste. There was nothing there. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes we don't have the time to mine out the things that are there, but they are mm-hmm. just details that God gives us to, to add to the richness of the message of, of, right. of, of the richness of his revelation. He's trying to, that's why we, we created this podcast called Understanding Jesus, because we believe in every verse there's mm-hmm. something that gives us just a little bit greater detail greater understanding right. of who jesus is and, and god's character yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. yeah and i uh i also think that um in those passages i obviously now, that, now there's some christians would, that would say that we're we're we continue in the covenantal law um uh-huh. and i i don't think that's yeah, that's that's not true. Yeah, but, that, now that now you are cutting into our time. Yeah, yeah I okay. know. but um. <laughs> so what's that last question? Yeah, last question. Um, so Pastor Troy, what are you excited about for Clayton's new position at First Baptist here? Clayton Carver, who is coming on staff here as our small groups and administrative pastor, it is something we've been praying for for some uh, amount of time. The whole uh, essence of what we do here at First Baptist is based on uh, small group evangelism and a small group growth and we divide our groups into three uh, categories and that is life groups which are community groups and bible studies which are learning groups and uh and then the um uh and then ministry teams which I would call loving groups which is where we get our live learn love and then lead basically leading people to Christ to become part of a life group a bible study and then a ministry team yeah. And uh, and that's how it perpetuates and so forth. And and Clayton is overseeing those groups, the formation of those groups, and leadership training, and uh, and then some administrative details that come with it. It gives us 
Um, I, uh, uh, we were just we we're very shorthanded. Uh, we have been very shorthanded since we lost uh, Ben uh, a long time ago, and then we lost uh, Daniel, we lost Josh, we lost. Uh, I mean, they've they've moved on to other things. Yeah, they've gone but, to be with yeah, uh, and, uh, other to, churches. Yeah, that's right. They're and they're and it was never a bad thing. It was a, they felt called to go to different places, and and we gave them our blessing in those callings, and so uh, that's that which is good. Uh, but now we find ourselves in a place that's like, wow, we are really needing somebody to to help uh, to fulfill to carry out this training and equip right and so i'm excited about him coming on board it's gonna but got, got much for him to do and, and he's excited to get started and i'm excited for to get him started how is it coming going to affect your position here uh it is well i mean basically i do i'm doing all of those things i just said i'm doing all of that and and it's just not enough time i mean it's just like yeah. it's trying to you know it's trying to when you ever you've if you've ever taken on a job or had uh worked at a place and you've covered three positions uh you know yeah, yeah yeah you just well they just don't get done well and yeah. so you're you're trying to you're just in a survival mode keeping your head above water of uh, just trying to do enough to to make sure it doesn't fall apart but it's not growing it's not flourishing it's not thriving and so yeah. is there anything that you're you are currently not capable of doing because of your time constraints that you are looking forward to being able to do after you get here. Yeah, the, the the leadership training. I mean, time, investing in relationships just takes time. Right. And and pastoring, like it's like parenting. Right. It's like if you have a one parent with five kids and you're trying to invest in those. Well, well, let me let me use teaching because teaching was a better example. When I was teaching school, one of the things that you had you had all kinds of discipline issues and so forth, and so you, we had a gifted and talented program. Uh, but we didn't. We wound up not having a gifted and talented uh, person, uh, and so uh, they were like, "Well, the teachers will just cover that." Well, that never got done. Yeah. <laughs> it's like gifted and talented kids; they, they're fine. You know, it's like they don't need attention. Yeah. The discipline problems are where you put your attention. So you wind up covering problems rather than helping people grow and thrive in things that they are gifted in. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that same is in church ministry. If if there's not enough of us to help, then uh, then the people who want to be discipled, it's like, ah, well, you know, you're you're pretty good. This guy's desperate over here. This yeah. guy's this guy's suffering and, and about to mm-hmm. fall off uh, the wagon over here. So this is I need to focus on him. Yeah, and his, this, yeah, yeah. you got it's like this. You got this destruction over here and people who are dying and and then you got and or, or battlefield analogy is a good idea. It, it, it's it's it uh, when you, you yeah. when you're out in battle and so forth. When you're simply when you're in the fight all the time, you. Mm-hmm. You're not building anything. You're not constructing right. anything. You're just you're just trying to stay alive. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. that answers all my questions. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you. We we've, we've talked about a lot today, so we're gonna bow out of here. But thank you for joining us today on the Understanding Jesus podcast. <laughs>